Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Behind the Knife. Uh, we are very pleased to have another repeat guest, Dr. David Flum, who is a professor in the Division of General Surgery adjunct professor in the Departments of Public Health and Pharmacy. He's also the Associate Chair for Research Department of Surgery and the Medical Director of the Surgical Outcomes Research Center Source. Heavily involved in everything from scope to certain, he's uh, pretty much done it all in terms of outcomes database. Uh, David, welcome so much to Behind the Knife. Thanks for coming back. Great, Scott. It's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for inviting me. So we got the three of us here tonight, and we're going to talk a little bit about something that you're involved with, and this is this uh, the CODA study, which a lot of people here have heard about, the Comparing Outcomes of Drugs and Appendectomy, the CODA study, which is funded through PCORI. You know, the listeners of BTK, you know, they know your background, they know everything about this, so we'll, we'll kind of skip over our standard format, and we'll talk, we want to dive a little bit first into kind of the what is the protocol and what is everything about this? But first, if you wouldn't mind touching a little bit about this 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 research center that you've had in terms of certain, and, and then specifically, what is PCORI? How did you go about getting this grant? And then we'll jump into CODA itself. Okay, Scott. I, you know, I'm a huge believer uh, that surgeons need to answer the important questions about the surgical procedures that we perform, questions about the reasons why we're performing them, the impact on patients, the impact on society. That's really what my whole career has been oriented, addressing. Uh, as you know, because of your time in Washington, we've got a pretty phenomenal uh, community of surgeons that have come together from every type of practice setting, academic to community-based to military to um, rural, uh, to come together to create a collaborative that was trying to learn from what we were doing uh, that's the surgical care and outcomes assessment program. And SCOPE, as a, I guess it's coming into its 11th year now, has really I opened my eyes to the power of the surgical community in addressing its important questions. Emerging out of SCOPE and registries are lots of questions that can only be answered with more rigorous and formal uh, trial frameworks. And so we did build a research layer on top of SCOPE, something we call CERTAIN, which stands for the Comparative Effective Research, or Comparative Effectiveness Research Translation Network. It would be a way to ask questions that needed either a randomized trial or some more rigorous assessment uh, that would provide the kind of evidence that would help guide clinical practice. And SCOPE and CERTAIN have been tremendously fulfilling uh, professionally, but for me, and I think for many, many of the surgeons in Washington State who participate, it's really a highlight of a career in building a community of fellowship of one of the first big randomized trials that has come out of this network is the CODA trial. And, um, and, uh, and, and to Corey, I think we were lucky enough to come onto that question at a time that when P. Corey was just coming into its full stretch and that gives me a chance to talk a little bit about PCORI. So PCORI um, is the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. It was a product of the Affordable Care Act and the health care reform uh, that uh, came in 2010. And it was intended to fill a gap. Uh, if you think about what the National Institutes of Health does 
uh, funds a lot of basic uh, science research, um, uh, and does do some head-to-head trial work. Uh, but it really has left a space where comparing the effectiveness of different treatments has been left to either the pharmaceutical industry or the occasional trial that can be scraped together. Um, these trials usually cost a ton of money, and they require a lot of organization. And the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute was formed with the idea that it would ask and then help answer the important questions to patients, patients who are trying to make uh, clinical decisions, practical decisions between usual care and a new approach, medicine or surgical procedure, two drugs or, or different approaches. And, and PCORI, uh, its, its key component is that it tries to put the patient's voice at the center of the questions. Uh, so from a patient's perspective, what's going to be the impact of voice A or B on my life, my family, my return to work, issues that are important to me? And PCORI, I uh, love the idea of studying uh, whether or not appendicitis uh, should be treated with antibiotics or with surgery. And that's why CODA uh, was a natural match for the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. I think uh, one question that comes to everybody's mind when they hear about a CODA and a new uh, antibiotic uh, child versus appendectomy is uh, how is this study any different than the ones already out there? Can you maybe elaborate on that, a little bit of background? Sure. I think there have been uh, six, uh, maybe even seven, randomized trials, all done in Europe, that compared uh, surgery, appendectomy uh, to antibiotics. Uh, most of them were on the small side, although in, uh, in Finland uh, there was a fairly large study, over 600 patients that studied this question. Um, you know, each has its own, uh, each of the trials has its own methodologic limitations, as every trial does. Um, many of them, for example, didn't confirm the diagnosis of appendicitis with, uh, with imaging, either ultrasound or CAT scan, uh, and undoubtedly left in this trial a bunch of patients who probably didn't have appendicitis at all. As we know, there's about a 15% rate of negative appendectomy when no imaging is used. And it's easy to get better with antibiotics if you don't have appendicitis. So that's one glaring example of some of the differences in European trials that were done in the 90s uh, to what code is up about. Those uh, studies, many of them excluded women. Uh, they uh, almost all excluded patients with appendicolitis uh, because of some concerns that that was a particularly high-risk group. Um, many of them excluded patients who had signs of perforation of the appendix, and that's not something that CODA is uh, excluding on. Um, and I think, the, the, in general, the differences in practice style and care patterns in Europe make it so that comparing the outcomes of antibiotics versus surgery pretty tricky. I'll give you an example. You know, one of the main things patients want to know about after uh, either approach is when am I going to be able to go home and how much time in hospital and uh, what's going to be the burden on me? Well, in those European studies, patients were kept in hospital for fixed periods of time in either the antibiotic arm or for sometimes more than three days in the surgery arm. Most American surgeons don't keep patients who've had an appendectomy in the hospital for three days. Maybe they go home even the same day in the United States. It's quite common. But because of those restrictions on how long patients had to stay in hospital and convalesce, it's very hard to understand the impact, uh, the burden to the patients or the healthcare system in those European trials. 
Uh, another example, patients are often asking about when I can get returned to work or how much sick leave uh, will I need for this. Well, those European trials don't really help inform that because they have some different practices about sick leave and return to work. Um, I think the biggest issue, though, is that uh, we all know that antibiotics can work to treat appendicitis. We've known that uh, since the earliest days of the treatment of appendicitis, and, and, and it went, once antibiotics came, um, uh, became available to clinicians. Uh, the real important questions about what's the overall impact to patients, it was never really well studied in those European trials. And it was certainly never studied in large groups of people, different types of patients, young and old, and people who work and people who are retired and people with kids and people um, who, who don't have kids and don't have caregiver status or caretakers. And all those, all those components of what makes us up as people are important when you're trying to understand the impact of surgery or antibiotics. And, and that's what CODA does. It's trying to get at all that heterogeneity that you really want to know for your patients that you see tomorrow in any clinic or emergency room all over America. Uh, and that's why CODA needed to be done. And the the coordinators are, you know, that's the in their six-hour window that they're not available. Do you just recommend going straight to appendectomy in these patients or, you know, standard surgical therapy or uh, wait till the morning for the coordinators? Or do you have any thoughts on this? That is a great question. And it's, and it's uh, although it's in the weeds, it gets back to a message that I'll highlight uh, throughout this, which is that, you know, we really don't know the answer to this question about whether or not antibiotics are as good as appendectomy. Uh, the standard of care and the, and, the, and, the, and the usual care is certainly appendectomy. Although we know we can treat appendicitis with antibiotics, we do it for patients with the worst forms of appendicitis, right, a bad phlegmon. Um, I think the issue that we really need to figure out is whether or not antibiotics are as good as appendectomy for typical uncomplicated appendicitis. So I think that usual care should prevail for most patients throughout America, unless there's a compelling reason not to, until the results of this trial help address this, help feed this information about are antibiotics as good as appendectomy? And I guess there's a second part to that, which is in whom are they just as good if, if it's not everybody? And I think until we get those answers, the American surgical community should leave antibiotics in the research realm. And I know that may be a controversial topic, but I think it's really important to, uh, to highlight. Before we leave that, that question, though, I, you, know, you asked me before an important question about how CODA is different from the European trials. And I forgot to mention probably the, the, the most unique aspect of CODA. Uh, you brought it up, which is the pragmatic nature of it. Uh, most people have heard about the concept of a pragmatic clinical trial. When the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute funded CODA, they funded it under a mechanism called the pragmatic clinical trial mechanism. A pragmatic trial is trying to address a question like, is surgery or are antibiotics as good as surgery? Um, in typical clinical settings with typical types of patients, um, because there's some, been a lot of concern in the past that in typical randomized trials, there's a lot of exclusion. Uh, those European trials I mentioned excluded a lot of patients. They also only performed uh, open appendectomies. Um, they limited it to one type of antibiotic that is, was uncom fairly uncommonly used. And the notion of a pragmatic trial is that it allows surgeons 
and emergency medicine docs to work together to use any of the usual care at, uh, approaches to both surgery, and that could be laparoscopic and or open, and antibiotics. And that could be any type of antibiotics that are typically approved for intra-abdominal pathology and sepsis and, and, and the antibiotics that we're all quite familiar with. The most unique aspect of, of CODA is that at some hospitals in the United States, they have been um, using long-acting intravenous antibiotics uh, to give a patient a dose of antibiotics in the emergency room and actually send them home. So at many of the CODA sites, patients who are receiving antibiotics, uh, once randomized, who are receiving antibiotics, are getting a dose of rhodopenem or some other long-acting antibiotic and being sent home and then checked on the next day with a phone call, and they may never get hospitalized at all. So you asked me before about how CODA is different from all the European trials before. Among the many ways it's different, one of the biggest ways is that many of the patients within CODA who get randomized to the antibiotics arm are being treated and never being hospitalized beyond the emergency room. And we think that has the potential to be a huge game changer um, if it has found that you essentially don't need to be hospitalized for, append for appendicitis. So we're eagerly waiting for the results of CODA to help address this really critical issue for almost 300,000 people a year in the United States who have appendicitis. I guess we should, um, you know, step back real quick and just just describe the study specifically, the different arms that a patient can become presented in, uh, and maybe go in a little bit into the inclusion exclusion criteria. Although you you kind of already mentioned that, um, so when a patient comes in the in the ER uh, and they appear to have you know acute non complicated appendicitis, can you describe which like the different arms specifically they can go into and and the, the process of randomization? Sure, and 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 let me just start with that first innocuous word of uncomplicated appendicitis. That's actually not a real term. No. Um, we It's used commonly, but if you ask 10 surgeons what's complicated appendicitis, you'll probably get 10 different answers. Uh, one of the first things that CODA needed to do was to disentangle what is truly complicated from a range of uh, other types and presentations of appendicitis that may be more or less serious uh, that you probably want, would, would have wanted included in this trial. So I'll just, I'll just spend a moment talking about that because it's key. I mentioned before that to uh, be considered for the trial, you have to have what we call acute uncomplicated appendicitis confirmed by either a CT scan or an ultrasound. Um, we are excluding patients with an abscess, with a phlegmon so bad that surgery really would not be offered, um, or with a, a significant amount of free air or free fluid. Now, in those terms, significant is some opportunity for subjectivity. So we spend a lot of time in CODA trying to get about 90 surgeons to agree with uh, a general standard for what is uh, enough, so much, too much air, free air or too much uh, fluid or, uh, in, the, in the abdomen. And that would be a very unusual case of appendicitis that would have massive fluid or massive amounts of free air. Certainly, we're excluding patients with uh, frank uh, generalized peritonitis. But the term complicated, we've really restricted to patients with an abscess uh, that needs to be drained um, or a phlegmon so bad you wouldn't operate on the patient, which by definition is including a lot of patients who have radiologic evidence of a perforation, 
this is another controversial area uh, related to appendix uh, to coda, um, and it's including patients with appendicitis. Let me take a moment to talk about both. Perforation, as determined by a CT scan, that turns out to be a very overused uh, radiologic diagnosis. When we looked at the last 100 cases that were listed as having perforation on the CT scan by the radiologist, about 50% of the time it was perforated. And when we looked at our patients with perforation, about on uh, perforation that we found in the operating room, about half the time it was picked up on the CAT scan. That's not very good odds. And on top of it, we all know that there's a whole different levels, a whole spectrum of, of perforation. So the notion of keeping in patients who have perforation on imaging, though controversial, uh, because some people might consider that complicated, we've done that in CODA, and we'll at least come to know whether or not patients who have radiologic evidence of perforation uh, do as well with antibiotics as they do with uh, appendectomy. Now, the last bit is appendicolith. There's been a big controversy about whether or not to include people who have fecalists or small stones at the base of the appendix. Um, I think most surgeons know that appendicolith um, may be innocent bystanders. We find them in about 18% of people who have autopsy and die of natural causes, um, and we find them in about as many patients who have appendicitis. Um, certainly, we all learn the mechanism in medical school that an obstructed base of the appendix with stone leads to distension of the appendix, and, append uh, and that distension leads to overgrowth of bacteria and mucus, and us as the whole progression of appendicitis. But we probably all learned an oversimplified version of the pathophysiology of the disease because most people don't have appendicitis obstructing the base of the appendix. And so we have included appendicitis in this trial to find out, again, whether or not antibiotics work just as well in patients who have appendicitis as does appendectomy. Uh, we do have this called out as a pre-specified sub-aim because of the concerns that have existed in the, especially the pediatric literature, where they have simply excluded these patients because of early, what they think is an early failure rate. So I, I took a lot of time talking about the inclusion criteria. Um, I will just say that we excluded patients who have generalized peritonitis or the abscess I mentioned, or patients within a phlegmont so bad you can't operate on, you wouldn't offer an operation to them. We also exclude people who have contraindications to um, relative contraindications to antibiotics, people with new, uh, newly placed implants, indwelling catheters, people having peritoneal dialysis, people planning to get pregnant or those who are pregnant, uh, and other conditions such as immunocompromised or active treatment for cancer. Part of a pragmatic trial is keeping your exclusion criteria very limited so that the results of this trial can apply to as many people nationally uh, as it can. And with pragmatic trials, there's often a trade-off between how uh, between feasibility. Well, you might want to include everybody. Could we really get surgeons to agree to randomize people who have immunocompromised or on big doses of steroids? Or and we didn't think so. And so that's the inclusion and the exclusion criteria of CODA. Um, so that was your first question. I think your second was about the protocol and the randomization. So patients who meet those inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria, are randomized, are, 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 um, are, give, are shown a video. They're, everybody, first of all, let me say that everybody with appendicitis is approached uh, and offered uh, participation in the trial if they meet those criteria. 
That right there is another distinction from the European trials where it looks like something like 70% of patients, only, only, uh, only 30% of their patients were even approached to be involved in the trial. So we don't know the extent to which there's been cherry picking in those European trials. We were very um, strict about the uh, protocol for quota to make sure that every patient with appendicitis is approached at least between the hours of uh, 6 a.m. and midnight. Uh, back to your question, if somebody comes in between midnight and 6 a.m., we do allow them to start on antibiotics. And if, when those research coordinators come in at 6.01 a.m., those patients are still allowed to be included in the randomization uh, process at that point. And if a patient is willing to do that, uh, willing to wait a couple hours to see the research coordinator at 6.01 a.m., that's certainly a, an option and one I would encourage for patients if, if they want to be part of the trial. Every patient's approached, and then we, we offer them uh, participation in this trial. And the first step of that is that they're asked to watch an eight-minute video. Now, the video is done in Spanish and in English, and it has clinicians um, describing the options for antibiotics and surgery. Let me pause there to say that we felt like it was going to be very challenging for surgeons who for 120 years have been taught to do appendectomy first to explain the evidence about antibiotics in a way that would be totally unbiased. It's just impossible. As a surgeon, um, we all have our opinions, and, and we, we thought it would be more um, a, a more rational approach to, to informed consent around this trial to have a script that was vetted by surgeons and ED docs, uh, patients, and educators, and to come up with a script that would tell the story of the antibiotics evidence and the appendectomy evidence as it is uh, in 2016 when we started the trial. The, the next step after they watch the video is they're asked whether or not they are interested in participating in the trial. If they say yes, they're offered randomization to either appendectomy uh, within the next couple of hours or antibiotics. Of any uh, of any number, any type of antibiotics that are the, that most surgeons would typically think are acceptable for intra-abdominal infections, with the one option being that at many places that are many sites of practice that are within quota, patients are being offered long-term intravenous antibiotics. So the 24-acting and 24-hour acting ertapenem is a good example at our facility that we're offering to patients. Um, and if they feel good after six hours, they can they can leave the emergency room and go home. Uh, and if they need to be admitted, they are admitted. Um, but patients in the antibiotics arm are, are offered this are, are um, treated with pain medication and antibiotics. Patients in the appendectomy arm are given pain medication and an appendectomy of any type that the surgeon wants to perform that would typically perform, so laparoscopic or conventional approach. And then both patient, both arms are off, are uh, judged by the same discharge criteria: uh, tolerance of a of a diet, uh, adequate pain control with uh, pain medication, and then are both both groups of patients are discharged when they meet those criteria. For the antibiotic patients, some of them, as I mentioned, are discharged straight from the emergency room if they're able to tolerate uh, some liquids and have adequate pain control on the uh, after the dose of ertapenem. And many, many patients are are, uh, are actually going that route. So that is the general protocol for CODA. I will say that if patients decline to be involved in the randomized trial but are still interested in being 
partner uh, still in, in, in participating in research, we offer them the option of being part of an observational cohort where uh, we follow about 500 patients um, uh, who are have, have preferred either appendectomy or preferred antibiotics, and we follow them with the same sets of surveys and patient assessments that we're doing in the randomized trial. The randomized trial has 1,500 patients who are being randomized, so 750, about 750 in each group, and then there'll be another 500 patients, uh, half of which have appendectomy and half of which have antibiotics that are in this observational cohort, and maybe we could talk a little bit about, about that uh, in the subsequent, um, if we have some time, but we think that observational cohort is going to be a very important eye-opening uh, aspect of, of the CODA trial. The last group is patients who declined to be involved in either the, uh, the randomized trial or the observational cohort. And for those patients, we follow them uh, through, their emergent, uh, through their electronic health record to see how they do. Many of them are selecting, you know, are, are opting for uh, appendectomy. Uh, some are opting for antibiotics. And we follow them uh, through the uh, electronic health record. So we are essentially trying to capture the entire funnel, if you will, of patients who present with appendicitis excluding as few as possible, including as many as possible, rigorously uh, following all the patients who get randomized and a, a sub-cohort of patients who want to participate in research but don't want randomization, and then we follow the patients who decline both but have an appendectomy at that facility. So can you talk a little bit about failure of those, how you just define failure, what happens to those? Uh, they undergo the antibiotic thing, uh, the antibiotic arm. And then also, if you could briefly mention, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience thus far as um, the patient who, uh, who who randomizes, who who comes in expecting one thing or seeing another. What, what has that experience been like? You know, a lot of patients may think they need surgery or think they need antibiotics, but they're willing to undergo a randomization in this process. Yeah. Let's break that into two the, the two questions that they are because they're different. The first one is a key thing for the surgical community to learn, which is what does success with antibiotics look like in a patient who has uncomplicated appendicitis? Most surgeons are used to treating only the most severe patients, the most severe cases of appendicitis, of bad phlegmons with antibiotics. And we have a sense of what improvement looks like, the white count's going down day after day, the pain's getting better day after day, the inflammatory mass is shrinking. But these patients are different. They don't have an inflammatory mass. They're not getting multiple days in hospital with white count and serial assessments. Uh, they're maybe treated in the emergency room and going home or maybe staying overnight and going home. Surgeons are going to need to learn what it looks like to treat patients who have uncomplicated appendicitis with antibiotics because I think no matter what the trial shows, some people are going to want this in the future. And, and what it looks like is that patients, have, their pain doesn't go away instantly. Uh, they're getting pain medication. And um, for some people, they have lingering pain that can, that can go through 12 to 16 hours. But we do see by 12 to 16 hours, a significant drop off in abdominal pain and tenderness. Patients perk up pretty quick when they're given fluids and allowed to eat. And just the idea of going home makes a lot of people feel a lot better. Um, you know, we're treating appendicitis that's not in that stage of phlegmon. So um, giving, giving 12 hours of antibiotics, patients start, they start looking better. It's without uh, too much, with, with, with all its subjectivity, 
that's what that's what happens. And and I think the remarkable thing we learned early on is if you keep a patient in the hospital, and every four hours uh, somebody comes by and is poking on their belly and saying, "You sure you want your appendix out? You sure you don't want your appendix out?" Uh, they'll be inclined to get their appendix removed, and it will look like a failure. But in actuality, when patients are given adequate pain medications and intravenous fluid and antibiotics, they perk up by 12 hours, and and um, their belly exam gets better, and they want to eat, and they want. It's offered the chance of going home. So many of them have opted for the opportunity to get better in their own bed, in their own house, in the comfort of their own house. And by the next day, they're reporting dramatic improvement. It's so important to mention this because if patients are kept in the hospital on antibiotics for several days, I don't think we've really given them much of a, you know, a difference. They're still hospitalized for several, you know, for a day or two in, in the hospital. Uh, they just haven't gotten definitive resolution of their, of their pathology. Offering them the opportunity to go home is a game changer for, for the health system, but also for the patient. And uh, understanding what failure looks like then is the patient that either comes back with worsening pain after 12 hours or they can't tolerate their diet uh, you know, after they uh, initially tolerating it, or they have uh, um, worsening uh, fever curves and sometimes even progression to an abscess. And those are all the things we're carefully monitoring in CODA to figure out how often that happens. We know from European trials, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, in kids, about 10% um, quote-unquote fail antibiotics. And I have to put air quotes around that because, you know, you need some rigorous criteria for failure. If it's all subjective, both on the patient side, I don't want to do this anymore, just take my appendix out. Or the surgeon side, you've already, we've already tried this. Is it really worth keeping your, you know, appendix in? Let's just take it out. There's so much subjectivity that gets played in there that we don't actually know the answer to what the true rate of failure is with antibiotics. And we're really hoping to distill that by asking hard questions about patients who uh, started on antibiotics and then ended up getting their uh, appendix removed in CODA. Uh, but we won't know that answer for uh, probably another two years. You had another question, though. Um, can you repeat the second question? Yeah, I was just wondering about what your experience has been about that randomization process, and has it been yeah. easy? Has patients been willing to buy in? It's a great. That's a great question. So we one we didn't really have any idea about what, how often patients would say yes to this trial, and that's our key when you're designing a, a trial, randomized trial. You need to have a sense of how often people who are approached will say yes. Uh, it drives everything from how many sites you need to how many years you need to recruit to how much money you need to do the trial. So uh, key pieces of evidence need to be figured out way before you ever execute the trial. Our approach to doing this was to um, first go to the community at large um, and uh, ask them, if you had appendicitis, would you be willing to randomize in a trial like this? So taking a patient, a group of patients who are at risk, uh, but don't have the disease and asking them. We actually went to Amazon Turk, MTurk, and asked 890 patients or people, future patients potentially, uh, that question. And what we found was really remarkable. About 45% that they would be willing to randomize in this trial. We thought that was too high, so we cut that by a third and said if a third would be willing to randomize, we would be uh, doing pretty well. Interestingly enough, the patients who refuse, who's on MTurk, I call them patients, but they're really future potential patients. 
the, the people who said they didn't want to randomize or wouldn't consider it, as much as, as, as often as not, they said they wouldn't want to consider it because they would do anything they could to avoid surgery. If there's a chance that a pill might work, they'll take it, they said. So it's interesting. You know, surgeons have, uh, often say, why are we even doing this study? You know, appendectomy is, is a simple procedure, takes no time at all, and patients should be offered, just offered that and not even given the option. If you ask patients, which is what PCORI really was all about, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, what you find is that they, they're, if they want to know what their options are, and, and many of them, if there's an option to not have surgery, they'll take it. So patients come to the emergency room, and we offer them the, 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 uh, the participation in the study. Now they have the disease. Uh, they have appendicitis. What would be the rate of uptake of the trial? Well, it's something we're carefully studying. Um, one, we're carefully studying what percentage of the patients are being excluded for, for co- having, quote-unquote, complicated disease of the type I described earlier. We're keeping a close eye on that and making sure that it stays under 20%. We didn't really know what the number would be per se when we started abscess, phlegmon, you know, free air, fluid, or one of these other conditions that uh, makes you relatively contraindicated, but we wanted to keep that rate low, as I said, and we're keeping a close eye on that. But the bigger question is, of the patients who are eligible, what percentage are willing to have a coin toss? It's a really interesting question. I think if you ask most surgical residents, would you allow a coin toss to decide whether or not you're going to have surgery or antibiotics, they would laugh you away. People are either uh, willing to be participatory in these trials because they think there's greater social good by being a participant, or they um, like the scientific process and want to be part of it, uh, or um, they feel like they'll get even better care because they're being monitored by a whole team. Uh, Any number of reasons why people might participate in a trial, but we're carefully monitoring the rates of participation in this trial. And I, I can't say the exact rate of participation, it's very close to what we predicted pre-study that we would have. About one-third are willing to participate in this trial. So as of today, uh, we're not a year into the trial, and we've, uh, we've randomized 200 patients, and we still have, we have to get to that number of 50, over 1,500, so we're a long way from being done. But the rate of participation is exactly what we had hoped it would be, and we're on target to recruitment uh, over the next couple of years for the CODA trial. One question that has been brought up, and I'm sure you guys have addressed this um, before, but uh, the risk of uh, appendiceal malignancy and uh, that being missed with the antibiotic-only arm, is there any way to, um, how do you guys rationalize this? It's a great question, and uh, one we uh, really try to wrestle with straight at the, uh, early on uh, with this trial. Um, interestingly enough, um, the early days of this trial, uh, um, in the early days of this trial, the New York Times ran an article on the topic um, and uh, got a group of people on social media who were very involved with um, appendiceal cancer uh, to get quite concerned that a trial such as this would be leaving the appendixes in on people who might someday develop cancer in them. And we were able to reach out to that group, uh, that advocacy group, and invite them to participate as patient advisors in guiding this trial. And from their feedback, 
what we did is modified the protocol so that anybody who has lingering symptoms, um, weight loss, weight gain, um, after uh, being treated with antibiotics, would uh, we'd alert their uh, clinical uh, the site of their clinical practice where they where they were randomized to make sure that they were plugged back into the diagnostic workups that are typically part of uh, patients with lingering abdominal pain and and, and GI symptomatology, uh, including if needed repeat imaging. You know the the incidence of uh, neoplasms and appendixes uh, that are removed is less than one percent. Um, but, you know, there are 350,000 people a year who have appendicitis in the United States. And, you know, if we left all of those people, all those appendixes in, undoubtedly some of these incidentally identified neoplasms would uh, become either clinically significant or, or, or presented at some point uh, down the road in perhaps a more advanced state. So this is not a trivial question. Um, our approach was to inform patients about the potential uh, risk of this. Um, to also uh, highlight that in, in, in surgery, one of the added benefits of, of, an, uh, of a surgical approach is that you both remove the appendicitis, but you can identify incidental incidentalomas and other uh, early neoplasms as, as, uh, as the, of, the, of the type that are harbored in the appendix. But we also highlight that this protocol is intended to pick up signs and symptoms that may develop over time. And, um, and then refer them back to their, uh, where they're being treated so that these patients can be picked up earlier. It may be that people who have appendicitis treated with antibiotics, uh, it may be that the CODA ends up showing that a repeat image at a year or six months is a good idea having ongoing symptoms um, because we will track, uh, certainly track that. Um, we're, we're considering that to be usual clinical care, you know, ongoing abdominal pain, weight gain, weight loss in a patient um, is, is, uh, is usually treated with some form of ongoing diagnostic imaging. But, you know, it's an excellent question and one that people that we faced before in surgery. Remember, there was a time when we took out everybody's gallbladder uh, when we did any type of surgery, hysterectomy, appendectomy, certainly gastric bypass surgery. And we've now moved away from that uh, because there's some trade-offs with removing the gallbladder. But one of the benefits of removing a lot of gallbladders that didn't have disease was that some of them harbored incidental neoplasms, just like in the appendix. And I think there's always this trade-off between the risks of surgery, and there certainly are risks of even an appendectomy, uh, versus the risks of leaving a incidental neoplasm behind. I think the best thing CODA is going to help inform is just how often is that the case uh, in patients with acute uncomplicated appendicitis that we have meaningful neoplasms and just what is the best diagnostic workup for patients with lingering symptoms after antibiotic uh, treatment because we're certainly going to have some of them in the 750 some odd people, uh, at least in the randomized arm, but even more in the observational cohort that, um, that are getting antibiotics only. Great. And uh, to wrap things up, uh, do you have any interim results so far? And then, and when would we expect, uh, your, uh, did you say two years we're expecting to have final results? I th so, um, so CODA, w one of the things that we tried to feature in CODA is that we're trying to bring long-term follow-up as well as short-term follow-up. I think we'll have 30-day results uh, about 30 days after recruitment ends. Um, and so that's probably going to be still another two years off. 
Uh, and so I can't, I don't have any information about how the trial is going from a result, from an outcome perspective. I can tell you that we have learned a ton about, um, about the clinical community, uh, about definitions of complications, complicated versus non-complicated appendicitis, about sorts of patients that are more or less inclined to be involved in randomization in this trial. Um, and, and we've frankly learned uh, the most about how um, IV antibiotics is getting more and more popular at the sites uh, that are involved in CODA. I don't have any results, and they won't certainly give me any results until we're done with recruitment from the main, uh, the main outcomes, which are uh, both clinical outcomes and patient-reported outcomes like quality of life, um, anxieties, uh, and, and, and function return to work, all the things that patients seem to care about beyond the clinical outcomes of uh, did my signs and symptoms of appendicitis get better. Uh, interestingly enough, what we've learned uh, about, about who's willing to randomize is that it not is not necessarily who you might think that is willing to be randomized. Um, it turns out that people uh, who have children and and um, who are caregivers themselves are um, often selecting antibiotics. It's after 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 viewing the video, but not willing to have chance decide for them whether or not they're going to get antibiotics. So. Interestingly, why do people randomize? They want to give back to society. They're interested in science. They, after hearing the evidence in the video, are genuinely unsure themselves and want to leave it to fate. People who are older and people who are not employed, uh, either because they're retired or because uh, for some other reason, are more inclined to be involved in the randomization. People with kids are less inclined even though they often may be selecting antibiotic treatment. So there's a, a very strong preference pattern we're identifying. Some people after seeing that video only want antibiotics, some only want surgery. And we are learning a lot about just how to talk to patients about this trial and, and highlight how much we don't know about the comparative benefits of antibiotics and surgery. So we can really highlight that this is a, still a very much a research question. Well, we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come back on to Behind the Knife and also for just exploring with us this very forward-thinking uh, study. Um, as we wrap up here, is there any message that you want to send to the surgical community regarding this entire issue of antibiotics versus surgery? Thanks, Scott. I think there are three points I'd like to leave the surgical community with. One is that we all know that appendicitis is the real deal. It's not something to be trivialized. Um, it can still kill you. It needs to be promptly diagnosed and treated in the right setting by the right people. Uh, by studying the role of antibiotics, we don't mean to minimize it as an illness uh, or, the, or, or what can happen if it's not picked up and treated um, most appropriately. So, you know, there's been this, uh, some pushback about this whole trial saying, you know, we already have a treatment nailed down. Why even go there? Don't you know that appendicitis is serious? And of course we do, and we're treating it as such. I think that's message one. We get that appendicitis is, can be a really serious condition and can kill people. Uh, but we think it's critical that we understand the role of antibiotics because there's already, as been mentioned, uh, lots of looks of, of this treatment, and increasingly it's being used in places like Europe. The second take-home point I would like to leave the surgical community with is 
that it is really key that we take a role, an active role in studying the value of the procedures that we do and why we do them and their impact. Because if we don't do it, somebody is going to be doing it for us. And we're not necessarily going to be liking the way they approach it. It won't necessarily include the nuances and subtlety and outcomes that we as surgeons know are best and most important for our patients. And it's so key that that surgeons broaden their view of, of the profession to include collaboratives like we have in Washington and Michigan and other states to study what we do, but to also be open-minded to to questions about the value of the surgical procedures that for 130 years we've assumed are the absolute approach that we need to do. And I guess that's the last point I'd leave the surgical community with, which is that we all know that antibiotics can be used to treat uh, appendicitis. We've been doing it for decades for the patients with the worst conditions. So it's not so much of a leap that you might do it for patients with uh, a less severe case of appendicitis. But what we don't know is whether or not we should be doing it for patients with appendicitis, whether or not we should be using antibiotics instead of surgery, whether it's as good when you measure all the important stuff that it matters to patients and clinicians in the healthcare system. And that's what CODA is really trying to address. And I just encourage the clinical community to let this sit in the research realm for a little longer. Uh, we are often very quick to adopt new technology and new approaches we read about a trial in Europe and we're offering it to our patients or a new technology and we're using it. I've been very impressed at how sometimes in American surgery, we've been able to hold off the march towards innovation. Laparoscopic colorectal surgery for cancer is a great example. I would encourage the American surgical community to hold off on offering antibiotics for the treatment of uncomplicated appendicitis until CODA lets us know, is it just as good as surgery? Or in whom is it just as good as surgery? Or is it not as good as surgery? And let the evidence guide what we do and offer to our patients. And I just encourage surgeons to leave this exactly where it is right now, in the research realm, and not part of everyday care uh, uh, until CODA has, has a chance to get the evidence done. So I, that's the take-home messages I would offer the surgical community. And I totally appreciated the opportunity to come back and talk uh, about this and beyond the knife. This is a great program. And it's a great chance to communicate with the clinical community, and I appreciate the invitation. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we truly appreciate it. And uh, again, to, from all our listeners, we once again appreciate it very much. Until next time, dominate the day.